The scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, and chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus, said to, then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, then let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's join before God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to us to be our teacher. We pray that you would help us to listen to your word, whether your word is easy and gentle or whether your word is hard, and to trust you that you know the best path of life for each of us to follow. So may we have ears to hear and hearts and hands and feet to give to you in your service. In Christ's name, amen. Do please turn to the sermon notes that you'll find uh, in your bulletin. I hope that you will take these home and use them for further reflection during the week that lies ahead. And if you're watching online, you can download the sermon notes. There's a button to press and the same notes that we have here uh, you can have there. In the Christian liturgical calendar, we are now in the season of Lent, the five Sundays leading up to Palm Sunday and then to the joy of Easter. Though, of course, before we get to our Easter celebration, we have to pass through the valley of Good Friday, the day in which Jesus was given over to death, a death sentence was placed upon him by the governor of the Roman occupation forces in Palestine, Pontius Pilate. We know of Pilate not only from the Bible, but he is mentioned outside the Bible. And indeed, uh, one of the early references to him is in the uh, Roman historian Tacitus, who links Pontius Pilate with the death of Jesus. The same story as we find in the pages of Scripture. And then on that same day after his bogus trial, Jesus is led away outside of Jerusalem to die on a cross. 
common instrument of death in the Roman world, an instrument of public torture used to humiliate, used to silence, sometimes think about people being silenced these days in the world, and killed for their opposition to those in authority. And it's the significance of Jesus' death, a death on a cross, on that first Good Friday that I want us to think about in these coming weeks, these weeks leading up to Palm Sunday and then to Easter during the season of Lent. And it's important for us to pause at the foot of the cross for a number of reasons during this particular season and at other times as well. Not to rush on too eagerly to get to Easter. Hey, Palm Sunday's wonderful, great celebration. Easter, wonderful celebration. Sometimes because it's not a Sunday, we miss the valley. If we don't come to services on Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, we miss the valley, but the valley is an essential part of the story of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to linger there. Some people would say, well, the resurrection's more important than the death of Jesus. And what I would have to say is actually the two of them are very closely tied together. We need both. Without the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross is mere tragedy. It's just one more example of man's inhumanity to man. The disciples would never have gathered together again to follow Jesus, to keep on following Jesus were it not for the resurrection. The resurrection is so essential to Christian faith. But in fact, it was because of the resurrection that the disciples went back a few days and they said, whoa, why did Jesus have to die? And why did he have to die in such a terrible way? Why did he have to die on a cross. It was the resurrection that made the disciples then turn their attention to the significance of the valley in the life of Jesus. Both of them are essential, and indeed both of them are represented to us in the cross which is above our heads today. Our cross in the Protestant church, Presbyterian church, is an empty cross. That's a sign that Jesus is alive now. But the cross is still the cross. It is the instrument of his death. So both death and resurrection are represented in the cross. And it's the cross that I want us to focus on particularly. So essential in the life and the teaching of the early Christian church. So if you turn, for example, to Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, you will find him giving to us an amazing reflection of the resurrection of Jesus in the 15th chapter. It's the most important chapter outside the Gospels when it comes to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's 15 chapters in, whereas if you go to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians and the second chapter, you find the Apostle Paul speaking about Jesus' death like this. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This instrument of death, the power of God. For Jews demand signs, and other races desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to other races. And then a few verses later on in chapter 2, he adds, in fact, I decided to do nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How strange is that? The proclamation of the death of this person who is at the center of our faith. These are powerful statements which need uh, to lead us to ask, well, why? Why was this so central? But there's more to it than that when you look at the gospel accounts of Jesus. 
you find that actually the death of Jesus, the last week, the last few days, the last hours of Jesus' life, are given a disproportionate amount of space. These are not, as many people think, normal biographies. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A disproportionate space is given to the last moments of Jesus' life. They may have been tempted, as we are often tempted to move quickly from Palm Story, Palm, Palm Sunday, entering uh, Jerusalem to the resurrection. Yeah, you pass through the death, but pass through it very quickly. But they don't do that. They linger there. In Matthew's gospel, we're only halfway through the story of Jesus. When Jesus tells his disciples, and he does it repeatedly, he is going to die. You need to get this in your heads. I am going to die. There's something about his death. And then a third of the story takes place in the last week of Jesus' life, and that's true in Mark's gospel as well. And in Luke's gospel, it's a quarter of the story in the last week of Jesus' life, though it's only a third of the way in that Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, as if very early in the story, uh, Luke, as he tells his story, wants us to know where this story is going, and there is this gruesome end to it before you get to the resurrection. He resolutely sets his face. This is part of his destination for you and me. So this is the biblical perspective. There's more that can be said, but you get the picture that the early Christians spend a great deal of time thinking not just about the resurrection, but about the death, the crucifixion, the death on a cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our focus in the next few weeks, looking at the cross as the Bible does, Uh, Next week, we'll be focusing on the cross as the source of our boasting. You may never have thought about it that way, but that's a theme within the pages of Scripture. The assurance of God's love and a source of our boasting. We'll look at the cross and the death of Jesus on it as uh, the time in which death itself is destroyed, the death of death in the death of Jesus We'll look at the cross as the means of reconciliation between us and God and the call of God to be reconciled to one another. We'll look at the cross as the paradigm for our own moral and spiritual transformation. And then today, what I want us to think about is the cross as God's call to serious discipleship. God's call to serious discipleship and self-discipline. This, in a sense, is a follow-up to last Sunday's sermon at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus speaks in a tough way about the cost of discipleship. And this continues this theme as we think today about the cross. Remember the words that we read earlier in our passage of Scripture. Simon Peter is speaking to Jesus. He doesn't like the idea of Jesus suffering at all. Jesus is God. Why would God suffer in any kind of a way, let alone on a cross? But Jesus turns to him and says, if any would want to become my disciple, they must take up their cross, Luke's gospel says, daily, and follow me. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember something not too dissimilar. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. There are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. These are tough words, and they may seem to us to be so different from some of the words that Jesus speaks that bring us such remarkable 
an enormous spiritual comfort. Think perhaps of the words with which I began the service today. Some of my favorite uh, words from Jesus in all of Scripture come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. Ah, isn't that what we need? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and with me you shall find rest for your souls. Oh, how we desperately need rest for our souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or think about the broad offer of eternal life in that most famous of biblical verses, John 3, chapter 16, for God so loved the world. Not just this little segment of the world, not just our nation, but the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, in the King James Version here, can't be beaten. Whosoever believes in him, whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but should have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, the world, should live. The breadth of the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I want to hear. This is what we want to hear. Or Paul's perhaps less familiar words to the church in Rome in the fifth chapter of Romans, while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for those who don't deserve it. He died for the ungodly. That is, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't wait for us to get our act together. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified, put right with God by his blood, will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The gate is narrow, says Jesus, but in some sense, the door is wide open. I mean, wide open if you look at all these texts in the pages of Holy Scripture. And it's wide open to absolutely anyone. If the leaders of the church can be people like Peter and Paul, then anyone can come in. Peter even as a friend of Jesus, is a coward and a liar. And then Paul, well, he's a hardline persecutor and in the end, a killer, a murderer. If they are in the family, then that door must be pretty wide for anyone whosoever to come on in. And some of us need to hear that message. Some of us have a tender conscience at the moment, and we may doubt that God loves us or there is an open door for us to enter into God's kingdom, and we need to hear that softness and tenderness from Jesus. We sometimes feel that we are beyond his reach, beyond his grasp, that there is no place for us, but there is. And these texts are really important. This wide-open offer in the gospel is really important. The softness, the tenderness, the welcome is real and necessary. But so too is the other side of the coin. And it is like a coin. There are two sides to this, and there are two sides to the whole of the teaching of Jesus, the soft side. And then there is the tough side. Jesus is not just gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but there's a tough side too. As if Jesus says to us, when you're in the family and where you're absolutely secure that you're in my family, and this is what I want you to have, to be a true follower and not merely a hanger-on, to accomplish my mission successfully, which I want you to do. I want you to know success. Well, it requires self-discipline. It requires self-denial. And at times it requires self-sacrifice. When it comes to self-sacrifice, I mean, we've had an image of this before us in recent days. Think of President Zelensky, a comedian whose life is changed at this critical moment 
stands for election, doesn't think he's going to win, or nobody thinks he's going to win, maybe he thought he was going to win, wins against all the odds, takes his job so seriously that when this massive crisis strikes, he does not flee, but realizes that his life, I mean really, this moment in which we are gathered together, his life is on the line, willing to die for his nation. Think about that in that context, and then think about our lives in the context of Jesus, the one who gives his life for us by death, gruesome death, horrific public shame, death on a cross. How can our commitment to him be any less than that? If any want to become my disciples, my followers, says Jesus, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For some, of course, this was a message about literal death. I mean, it really was. In the early days of the Christian church, taking up the cross had not been diminished in its understanding in any sense. It was a public instrument of torture. And Jesus, when he says this, People are going, you have to be kidding. Take this up voluntarily. It's like taking up the electric chair voluntarily. No, no, there's no possible way that we would do this. But they understood that Jesus was calling some of them, at least, to give the ultimate sacrifice, and they did. One of the earliest records we have of the words of somebody whose life was given up for Jesus come from the Bishop of Smyrna, which is now in modern-day Turkey, Izmir, a Bishop of Smyrna by the name of Polycarp burned at the stake around 150, 160 years after Jesus' birth uh, for refusing to offer incense to the emperor. And these are his words. Eight and 80 and 60 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ privilege to share the cup of Christ. What is this cup? This is the cup of his suffering. This is the cup of, of his cross. This is the cup of his death that I may share with you in this. He carried his cross and he knew exactly what it meant. So this is tough and some are still to this day in our world carrying the cross in such a way that it will lead to their death. There is persecution going on in our world even now around us for the name and the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth is, of course, not all are called to die in this literal sense. Though all are called to die spiritually for Christ. All called to die to ourselves. The Apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I have been crucified with Christ. There are two senses in which we need to die to ourselves that I want to share with you this morning. The first has to do with allegiance, with what we might call ultimate allegiance. This has to do with a fundamental decision that each of us has to make within our lives. Those words of Paul again, I have been crucified with Christ. They come from the second chapter of Galatians. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is a handing over of control of one's life to another, saying, I must die that Christ may live within me and run the show. I mean, run the show. This is about authority. This is about ownership of our lives. This is about who's in charge. 
And it's also about who we love and who we trust and whether or not we actually believe that we are powerfully loved by the one in authority. On the issue of ownership, do you really believe that God is the boss? I mean, we say it, Jesus is Lord, but is he in fact the one to whom we have given over control of our lives? Owns us, has the right to direct the course of our lives. And then related to that, not just because he's the boss, but do we trust him? We actually believe that he knows better about the course of our lives than we do. That God's direction for our life is best no matter what it is or where it lies. This is the soft stuff of Jesus' words. Do we trust that he loves us and will never fail us or forsake us? Jesus himself clearly believed in the love of God the Father for him and the trust that God had the power to help him in life, though he, like us, wrestled with these things. And the scriptures are so wonderful in that they bring to us the humanity of the early leaders of the Christian church, not just their perfection, and to us the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we find Jesus wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane with this death to self, when the cross itself is there before him. Within the next few hours, he is going to carry the cross and hang on that cross and die. But for a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, his allegiance is up for grabs, as it always is within our lives as well. In the depth of his humanity, we find Jesus crying out to God. This is pain beyond description that he has to face. For God's sake, for your sake, for my sake. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he has a choice to make which has eternal consequences. And we see him wrestling, which for all of us, I think, should bring us a measure of peace as we wrestle. We see him wrestling, and then we find him coming, of course, to that incredible moment where he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine, but thine be done. Choice made. Literally, he is going to carry the cross and hang on the cross. But spiritually, choice made to hand over the control and direction of his life to another in whose hands his life is safe. Last week I quoted from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I need to quote from him again this week as we think about whether or not we are actually carrying the cross in this sense. Bonhoeffer said this, he said, the cross is laid down on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give ourselves over to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a person, he bids that person come and die. So taking up the cross means a fundamental dying to self at the center of our lives, putting to death the control of our lives and handing that control over to Jesus. This is a narrow choice. This is the narrow gate through which we need to pass. There is no in-between in this. There is one or the other. Either I'm in charge or Jesus is in charge. And it is narrow in that sense. The choice is very specific. 
we need to take up our cross in that sense of allegiance, ultimate allegiance. But there's a second way in which I want us finally to think about taking up the cross this morning. And it does have to do more with the daily exercise of self-discipline, the daily making of choices in moral matters that each of us has to face. So there's this ultimate allegiance business, and then there's the daily run of life. And the carrying of the cross needs to go in both those directions. Of course, from a human level, as I shared with the children, no, children, nothing much happens of any good in our lives. No great beauty is uh, created and no great success is had unless uh, there is discipline, unless there is practice with our skills. It's true in the world of music. It's true in the world of sports. It's true all over the place in our world. It's also true in the spiritual life. J. Oswald Saunders was a great missionary leader back in the last uh, century and uh, ran a, a Christian organization called Overseas Missionary Fellowship, which used to be the China Inland Mission. He knew many people who were dedicated to Christ. They had, it seemed, gone through the, the narrow door. But he says this in his book, Spiritual Leadership. He says this, many who drop out of missionary work do so not because they are not sufficiently gifted. We spend a lot of time focusing on gifts and talents, and that's not bad. But it's not the only thing in the game, he says. But because there are large areas of their lives, they drop out, which have never been brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. They shirk the rigors and sacrifices and the divine disciplines that are involved. He would rather have somebody who doesn't need, seem to be overtly gifted, but they are disciplined under the discipline of Christ than one who has many gifts, but they're all over the map. And he saw this in practice. Those who drop out live undisciplined lives. Paul, writing to the Colossians in chapter 3, puts this in terms of life and death like this. He says, put to death. And it's not just a casual use of the, of the term, put to death. It's based upon the cross of Christ. Since a death is involved there, there needs to be a death involved with us. Put to death whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed. This is in Colossians 3. And by the way, all these scriptures are in your sermon notes. I hope you will reflect on them afterwards. Get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Put to death. How do we put to death? No, I don't know that there's a shortcut to do this apart from regular taking stock of our lives. What we have done, <clears throat> what we have left undone, that's harder to think about that. The big things, how yeah, we know about those faults and failings. But then the myriad of small things that go by unnoticed and yet pile up within our lives, unresolved, creating sort of a massive chaos at times within our lives so that there's an explosion. We don't know why it's taken place. Well, because we didn't resolve something step by step and bit by bit, day after day. You're here in church. I'm so grateful in our nation as a whole, those who weakly take stock of their lives is diminishing, decreasing. And there's a great loss personally and also in society around about us when this does not happen. But we need to do this also every day of our lives. Keep small accounts with God, said one great saint of old, day by day. 
time set aside. Well, that's how you learn the violin. That's what I didn't do when I gave up the violin day by day. We spend time with God, and it's amazing what happens when we practice the presence of God like that and friendship with our Lord Jesus Christ, lingering with him. Lingering, yes, on Easter, and the resurrection, and Palm Sunday in the celebration, but lingering also at the foot of the cross. Jesus calls us to carry the cross, or you cannot be my disciple. Tough, tough words. The gate is narrow, wide open, but narrow. Make sure that that's the gate we pass through. Nothing said here, which isn't already said in a secular sense by one of our great poets, Robert Frost. Remember his words, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Yeah, it does. Let's pray. Holy God, look down upon us. Help us to follow our Lord Jesus in both the gentle good news of the gospel and in those things which are hard, for he speaks always for our sake as well as for your glory. Amen.